Welcome back to the Running Wine Mom podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Slinsky, aka the Running Wine Mom. Today, we continue our conversation with the incredible Dr. Quinn. In the first half of our discussion, we unraveled the threads of parenting, fitness, and Dr. Quinn's inspiring journey to become a pediatrician. Today, we continue our journey with Dr. Quinn's innovative practice, Zoomies Pediatrics. Get ready to explore the heart of pediatric care as we uncover the unique approach, dedication, and compassion that define Dr. Quinn's practice. We'll explore the foundation of Zoomies Pediatrics, where evidence based medicine intertwines with Dr. Quinn's commitment to personalized care. From preventative measures to nurturing child development, we'll discover how this practice strives to create a safe haven for children and families alike. Dr. Quinn's journey has led her to embrace cutting-edge technology, including telehealth service, ensuring that her patients receive the utmost care even in times of adversity. As we journey deeper into the world of pediatric care, we'll gain invaluable insights into the role of telemedicine and its impact on children's health. So whether you're a parent seeking guidance or someone eager to learn about the intricacies of pediatric medicine, this episode promises to offer a treasure trove of knowledge and inspiration. Don't miss the chance to explore the heart and soul of Zoomies Pediatric with Dr. Quinn. All right, so let's get into Zoomies. Why don't you tell us about your practice and how you chose the name? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Zoomies Pediatrics is a... It's a primary care pediatric office. I'm the owner and founder of Zoomies. We opened, what, June of last year. So mm-hmm. we celebrate our one-year anniversary. Not Congrats. Two, yeah, thank you. And I opened this practice with a very, very simple goal. How do I become someone's pediatrician in the best way I know how that I want to be? Mm-hmm. And that is through direct care and direct access. That means if you are my patient, you should have my cell phone number that you can call, you can text, you can FaceTime, mm-hmm. or you can email if that's easier for you. And if your baby is sick, I should see your baby the same day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the next day because the parents don't want to come in to see me the same day. Right. Right. And if you are busy at work, um, if you have a break during lunch, you can call me then. We can FaceTime at that yeah. point. I will say that 80% of childhood problems or questions can be solved over the phone mm-hmm. through a text through FaceTime because they're pretty straightforward. Like, can I do this? What is this rash? Mm -hmm. Other times when I need to listen to the heart and lungs and look at the ears, and I want to make that experience as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't want my patient to go to urgent care. Yeah. Is it completely avoidable? No, because there are going to be situations where you're going to need stitches Mm -hmm. or imaging. You might have to go. But most of the time, the everyday pediatric care and services should come from the same person that who knows you right who knows your child who yeah. knows your history right so zoomy was founded on that philosophy that i am i should be your first go-to person for everything mm-hmm. that if you're going to have a concern i don't want that concern to marinate in your mind to the point of causing anxiety and then you have to go to strangers who might have well intention but they don't know your child they don't yeah. know your child's history and you cannot compare two kids together uh, how the other child was experiencing this disease versus your kid. Yeah, that's something too. Right. So whenever I hear, you know, a, a friend or a colleague or whoever um, would post something on social media about this is the symptom that my child is having, what should I do or what is it? Yeah. The pediatric, the pediatrician part of me said, oh my God, I have 20 follow-up questions. Right. That, that I would need to know uh-huh. before I can tell you if you need to worry or don't you. Right. Because even though a rash seems simple, it's not. Mm-hmm. It, it could literally mean 150 different diagnoses. 
but the follow-up question would help me to narrow down the path that I'm going down on. Yeah. Right? The Not just the texture of the rash, the look of it, how it appear, how long has it been, what other symptoms associate with that rash. Right. And so that, to me, is you have to have that relationship with your, your physician, whoever that might be. Yeah. And having a conversation with them means that, hey, if this should change, um, it gets worse or something else, we know exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be the person that here, like sort of like the two week history. I want to know exactly when it happened and then how it changes over time. Yeah. And that's the best care. And I don't know how to do that without practicing direct care. Right. And so I don't have to worry about people telling me I can't see my patients because we only allow you this number of visits. We're only going to allow you um, to bill for this unless you do vital signs like this. Uh, so okay. for an example, if you have a rat, I just saw you yesterday for a well visit. I took all your vital signs. I know all your growth, your, your developmental parameters. And then tomorrow you text me and say, oh, he just you know, has, he has a scratch. What do I do? Do I need to bring you back in here and check your blood pressure, check your temperature? Yeah. You don't, I can't trust you as a mom to tell me that your baby doesn't have a temperature, but the insurance world will say, you need all of that. Right. And you need to document all of that. And you have to put in all these codes and all these um, crazy reimbursable bills and whatnot just to so that we can tell the insurance that uh, we're doing our job as doctor. Why do I have to submit myself to a bunch of people who are not medical? True, To yeah. say that I want to care for my patient. Yeah. So if I'm going to work for somebody, I'm going to work for my members, for my parents, for my kiddos. Yeah. Not for some... <laughs> not for yeah. someone sitting up there making the rules. Right, yeah, that has no idea. Like you said, it's just, it's similar, you know, it's similar to motherhood where you're like, I know my kid and this is something wrong and I need... and. As their pediatrician, you can you should have enough judgment to say like, you know, yeah, we don't need to take their blood pressure because like they have this, and I know yeah. this child, mm -hmm. which is so important. I find it funny too that whenever you go to a a typical pediatric office, the kids has to be undressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, do I need to know about their weight? I mean, it's no. gonna fluctuate throughout the week. Yeah, you're but, like, yeah, unless they've been vomiting, diarrhea, I worry about dehydration, weight loss, but really, no, I don't need to know your weight. Three days ago, I already had it. Right. Like, yeah, I never even thought about. It. <laughs> so, so it just makes sense. Yeah. To to just have a conversation and spend time with you versus then meeting some kind of metrics. Right. Through the computer, mm -hmm. like cooking and checking a bunch of boxes. Yeah, so true. And so that is why all my appointments are an hour, an hour and a half. Wow. I have half an hour buffer in between each patient. Okay. So once you're gone, I'm just going to, you know, uh, wash and, and wipe down everything. I'm mm -hmm. just going to sit here and wait for my next patient. Yeah. So wow. I have a waiting room. It's really just for show because no one sits there. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, it's for the kids who they get bored to just get up and start wandering. Yeah. I, I don't whole babies in a room that you need to go and go ahead and explore. Yeah, and that's, yeah, like, walking in, your your office is so, like, warming and welcoming, and then you think about going into a typical pediatrician doctor's room where it's just, like, white walls and <laughs> no fun. It's like, I'm always, like... it's corporate. And especially if you're going to have kids, if you're going to have weight weights, which, we you know, most parents do wait once you go into the pediatrician yeah. room... Like you should have little toys or like yeah. little books or something for them. I know I always like stack up on stuff <laughs> before because right. you never know. But 
but the beauty of, of my practice is that you don't wait. Right. I'm the first person that you will see. I'll mm-hmm. walk you through my door, and then I do everything with you. Mm-hmm. And I take your vital signs. I mean, really, I don't do all of that until I get the kids settle. Mm-hmm. So we talk. We talk about how was camp, how was school. And the best compliment I ever received was when, you know, a four-year-old said to me, I love going to see you, Dr. Quinn. Oh. So he's not saying I'm going to the doctor's office. I'm going to see my doctor. Right. That is what I want for all my members. Yeah. Right. And he just, and he, it's funny, his mom would say, Dr. Quinn, you know, he woke up with a nightmare the other day and he wanted me to text you about his nightmare. And I thought it wasn't appropriate. I was like, thank you. Yeah, yeah you're like, thank, yes, it wasn't. Thank you for saving that. But you didn't have to text me at three about his yeah. nightmare. But it was just the sweetest thing so to hear. So sweet. And what's funny is that when... His that he trusts you. He yeah. trusts you to take care of him, which and is And that important. his go-to is that I can tell my doctor that I didn't feel good mm-hmm. about something. And that's why it's important that not only for infants and babies to have the relationship with their doctor early on, but also for the older kids, mm-hmm. the teens. Because... I have a 16, 17-year-old. He doesn't want to share a lot of stuff with me anymore, no. like most teens. And you should have, or they should have an adult outside of the home that they can trust, that can go to for the sensitive right. issues, puberty, mm-hmm. right? school, friendship, peer pressure, mental health. I insist, I mean, upon parents' permission, of course, that my teens have my cell phone number so they can text me. Yeah. They can text me, oh, I have this weird thing. What do you think? Right? They would tell me before they tell their parents. And I always asked their permission. I said, hey, this one seems okay, but do you mind if I tell your mom and dad about it so that they can keep an eye on it? Yeah. Right? And then there's some other more complicated issues that they would tell me, and they're not sure how to talk to their parents. And, <sighs> and I'm here just, you know, I sometimes take walks out there. Well, yeah. right now it's yucky. I wouldn't do it. But we take walks in my parking lot and just talk about life, about yeah. school, about what they're going through emotionally. And I said, these are really complex emotions and what you're going through. And I I think that your parents would really understand you better and because I know you're afraid they would understand mm-hmm. that they're gonna put more restriction on you but as a parent as a mom I would tell you if my son tells me these feelings I would be so honored and so touched and so proud right that the last thing on my mind would be like oh my god like I would freak out I wouldn't like restrict you I would do this and that right, right? so Telling them from a mom perspective helps these kids. But yeah. they need to hear from someone who isn't their mom. Yeah. And that's I'm a high school health and phys ed teacher and I feel like sometimes that's what a lot of the kids come to us you. for exactly. you know, there because we teach them about all of their bodies and, you know, their feelings and emotions and um it's interesting because it's like sometimes they just, it's a simple answer, but they're just afraid to go tell their parents. And you're like, you, similar to what you're saying, you just want to be that yeah. in between person where you can teach them, hey, just go say this way. And, you know, then they're more prepared and build a relationship with their own parents, which is amazing. Right. And you just want to do that for kids. Yeah. Is, is be that bridge mm-hmm. uh, when they think something is hard to do. Um, and adolescence, just hard. Right. Being a teenager is hard because they're trying to figure out their own way of life and they're trying to also pull away from their parents. Mm-hmm. That's just, again, part of normal human evolution, right? Right. Kids grow up and they want to be independent, so they don't want to run to their parents for every little minor and scrape and boo-boo and, and worries mm-hmm. and hurt feelings. But then you also want positive influences mm-hmm. because if you're not the positive influence, the world will be their influence. Right, they so spend, true. Right, social media, yes, they, <laughs> platform. These influencers, they work so hard to keep your kids engaged. Right. 
Yeah. And so then your kids need other outlets. Like they need to have good coaches. Right. Like good teachers. And parents that, t- you know, not only the kids trusting you, but the parents trusting you. And when they go and say, you know, Dr. Quinn said that this is how I should approach this subject, they're mm-hmm. going to say, okay, this comes, it's not, you know, their friend from a random place that they don't know right. said I should come right. tell you about this problem I'm having. Like you are knowledgeable and and knowing and how, and that's just the whole, I think, yeah. um, that's amazing. And they're very lucky to have you. And it's a privilege, truly. Yeah. That the parents will allow me to have access to their kids through their phone. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought the idea was weird. Like, oh, are they really, would they, and I'm just floored by the fact that the parents are like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank God you have this. Yeah. Phone. I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I definitely would, you know, it's, it's, if they can have access to someone who can help them and that's a person, you know, from a parent perspective, who can help my kids in the best way? Yeah. And I'd rather them, again, be texting you than asking their friends for... <laughs> okay, good. I have another vote. Yeah, uh, yeah. Seriously. Like, I, and it, there's so much... It, it's it's also funny because one of the things that I do um, just for, like, one the sex ed class that I teach, I have, like, an anonymous, like, questions or, like, thing, okay. And the oh. things that these kids ask that they think is true, it's like, where did you learn this stuff from? Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, you're not asking your parents, no. um, you know, if drinking Mountain Dew is going to disintegrate your baby. Like, it, you know, oh, it's, it's just, like, funny, the things that they... There's inappropriate, not not appropriate for the uh, podcast right now, but the, yeah. the questions they ask, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And if you didn't ask me this and I didn't give you an answer... The, You're gonna go through your life thinking that this is what happens. Like, <laughs> you'd be surprised the things that kids ask me, teenagers ask yeah. me. And I thought after you know twelve years of doing this, I've stopped being surprised. <laughs> no, I'm still shocked by the things that kids put out there. Yeah, like they just—it's a shock value. Yeah, I like I, yeah. Social media would say things and then have kids try at home, and yeah. that's the other thing that I'm yes. so terrified of is these challenges. The TikTok challenges and oh my stuff. God. I don't have TikTok, but that's just terrifying. <laughs> it's, it's not on my algorithm, but it's on my students' algorithms. That you know we hear about it all the time. Yeah. We're like. You know the tide. There was the Tide Pod challenge, and there's just like silly stuff that you're like, and I don't. Pranks? Yeah, the pranks and like stuff. Against friends too. and school mm-hmm. and teachers, it's just yeah, it's, it's a hot mess. So, how did you fa- find the name for your practice? Yes, yeah, so Zoomies. You know, as I had said earlier, my husband is my biggest supporter. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to do this without him, and so I decided. Since the beginning, that if I'm gonna come up with a name, we should both <laughs> agree upon. Right? Yeah, and it was nearly impossible. He didn't like any of the names I chose, <laughs> and I didn't like any names. Yeah, we said we both have to love it. Right, it's a huge criteria. And then one day we were watching a little doggy running around the backyard, happy as can be. And she she does that every time I come home. When he comes home, she just does. She does it yeah. for fun. And and we're like, what is she doing running in circle, right? And then we looked it up. It's called Zoomies. Zoomies. And I said, hey, would it be funny if we call our, my practice Zoomies? Because it's so joyful. Yeah. You go, yeah. I said, really? I said, yeah, it's joyful. And that's what you've been looking for your whole life. A joyful way of practicing. Oh and that's it. I and love that. People might think it's silly that I named this after a canine behavior. But like, no, it's just about what I want to do that is, makes sense to me. Right. And if I can bring my joy to you, then that's what matters to me. Yeah. Well, I don't have a dog, but my daughter definitely gets the zoomies too. So. <laughs> <I know. laughs> a, friend, a, a, a colleague of mine, she's a pediatrician. She said, hey, 
are you trying to say that you only see ADHD kids? I'm yeah. like, no, Izumi does not mean that. No, it is. It is. It's like you're I trying to get out this like excitement and joy, and and that is so true. Like that's the energy, the excitement, the yeah. joy, the oh, I love that. I never would because I was trying to figure out like, okay, I wonder if it has something to do with like going from like childhood to adult, like zooming through life, like uh, zooming <laughs> or like FaceTime zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't. Um, so direct primary care, um, how does it differ from traditional fee for service models? Like, I know you kind of went into that a little bit, but if you could just kind of elaborate a little bit for that. So DPC direct primary care or direct pediatric care, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a movement really. When Mm -hmm. I first learned about this three years ago, there are a growing body, a number of physicians across the U.S., are now saying no we want to practice what we love Mm -hmm. and provide the best care quality care amazing access Mm -hmm. and have the data to show the great health outcome Mm -hmm. right it's not just about giving the access it's not about being there for parents well what do we see as evidence is that parents are happier right kids are healthier and they're less burden on the er system less er visit so it saves parents money in the long run mm-hmm. without having to go to all these tertiary places but ultimately it was born the movement out of the need for physician to take back the autonomy mm-hmm. to say that i want to be able to see my patient for an hour especially if they're coming in with mental health concern with mm-hmm. anxiety with depression and i speak for the pete side right but in adult there's so many other chronic issues um, the elderly population, they, they need time in mm-hmm. relationship with the doctor. Um, so it's been around for about 10 years. It's a slow growing, but recently in the past five years, it's just rapidly moving across mm-hmm. the U.S. Within the Pennsylvania system, Pennsylvania, we have like, I want to say over 30 or 50. I wow. stopped counting a long time ago. Yeah. And there's a way to look up, you know, um, all the physicians who practice direct primary care. There's a website, um, it's called DPC Mapper, M-A-P-P-E-R, and you it basically shows you all these pins of where these doctors are. Okay. Right? Um, but how is it different from the traditional, typical pediatric office? For me, it's really just about us working together, right? Mm-hmm. I People, the most common question I get is, do do you take my insurance? Yes, I do. I use I process your insurance for things that are expensive labs, imaging, mm-hmm. uh, referral to your specialist. If you need to be in the hospital for something catastrophic, you have to have your insurance, just right. like insurance for your car, for your home. But for primary care services, the relationship part, insurance doesn't recognize that. Right. They don't reimburse for that. Mm-hmm. They don't want that. They, right. It's all about volume for mm-hmm. them. So then I don't want to have to send the bill to the insurance and say, please, uh, pay me so I can care for those people. Mm-hmm. No, I said, no, I'm just going to care for those people. And if they're happy with me, they stay with me and they pay me. Right. And there shouldn't be any other restriction because if I ask money from the third payer, they're the one who's in control and the restrictions are Start their to power. Apply, yeah. Right? That's their responsibility. They're going to tell me how much I have to document, how much I have to say and upcode to make to, to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. And so I said, no, I'm just going to do it directly through my patient. Um, so that is the main difference is that it's really about taking out the middlemen. Yeah. The people who are putting all these weird restrictions and barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, insurance, one thing I will say is, I guess this is a funny analogy, but a good friend of, my, a good friend of mine said to me, insurance is like taking your Allstate 
to a gas station and said, hi, this is Allstate. I have excellent Allstate insurance. Can you give me some gas? No, they won't. Right. Because it's meant for catastrophic care, for right. major unforeseeable events, like hospital, specialists, imaging, x-ray for bad things that happen, mm -hmm. but not for everyday things. Yeah, that does make so, that makes so much sense. It's like the things that keep your car running, they're a necessity, but the insurance should cover the breakdowns and the, mm -hmm. um, the accidents and stuff like that. Right, right. And imagine if you're all state, farmers insurance they have to pay for all of your gas mm -hmm. on like on a weekly basis can you imagine what the premium will be yeah like? it'll be skyrocketing that's what we're dealing with right now in the u.s mm. these premiums are crazy they, yeah right deductibles are getting out it's just they yeah. upcharge everything and half the time patients don't even know what those charges are for right. um when i would do blood work for example i asked the parents hey do you know how much these things will cost no one knows i don't know yeah if you ask your physicians right now how much would my annual labs will cost me they have no idea mm -hmm. because it's up to the insurance and so, the lab and their contract to decide how much they will cover right so oftentimes and i'll give you an example of my husband's recent annual lab visit he we got a bill for i want to say in the upper 700 and that's um, basically what they say it's going to cost us. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, that's not right. So they go, okay, fine. We forgot. We're going to put in some extra deductible. And at the end of it all, we were responsible for 450 Yeah. And, and they go, see, but we're such good. We're so good to you. We cover almost $3,000 off of all of your bill. You only respond to 450 But let me tell you, when I take that same script and I go to LabCorp and I said, hey, how much would it cost me if I just pay you cash so you don't have to go through the extra step to build the insurance, to do filing and coding and hire a bunch of people um, to make phone calls to the patient demanding money and yeah. all of that. How much would it really cost? Total bill was 45 Oh my gosh. Out of cash. Cool. I mean, we're talking about a whole panel of lab, yeah. panel of everything right. annually. So you tell me, we didn't. I didn't know that until I started my practice. And right. so I learned about what direct care means and how I can negotiate things for the benefits of my patients. Yeah. Right. So doctors don't know because we are basically beholden to the insurance. Right. They get to dictate the terms. When they up when they code a visit, they have no idea what the bill will look like for you. Right. And you don't even know. You don't know until you get the bill three months later. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, it's something, like, my husband and I are very lucky to have, um, like, government jobs. So our okay. insurance is, like, his insurance is the best that I've really ever, like, talked to anyone about. We're very, very, very fortunate for it. And that's where I'm, like, trying to learn. Because when, when I started having a you know, when we started having kids and people are like, oh, I paid this much, I paid this much money for, um, me to have a baby. Some people it's like $200. Some people it's $10,000. Oh. And it's very, I'm like, well, how, how do they just, I'm very ignorant to the fact of the people paying certain different prices because my husband's insurance is so like, I don't even know what it's very good. Apparently. Um, but I'm like, well, why, if we had the same birthing experience, am I paying $0, but you're paying $5,000? Like, right. It also depends on where you go. Yeah. And at that moment in time, who were involved in yeah. your service? Like the OB, the medical assistant, yeah. the nurse, the anesthesiologist? And the, well, the anesthesiologist is what a lot of people have the complaints about, is that they're out of network. And I'm like, how, like if you, you have 
to have this person? How can you sit there and say, like, well, they're out of network, but you have to have it. Like, right. and it's not just, like, one or two people. It's so many people. It's like that. It's a very expensive expense, yeah. right? So I, I tell moms, like, when they come for, like, my, I don't know, like, a newborn um, class mm-hmm. that I give, and I said, you might want to call your insurance and get all these things lined up so you're aware so that when you're giving, after you give birth, you're not home dealing with this crazy hot mess. And right. I said, ask your insurance, okay, so you tell me these are in-network right now. What if an in-network person isn't on call that day? Right. And so they will bring, they would hide these contractors, like, people would just, like, per diem or locum. Mm-hmm. Well, they are not in contract with Edna if that's what you happen to carry right and that's Edna said hey his name is not in our list so you're going to be be responsible for the entire mouth yeah and Pam's like well I don't know what this is and the the fight to get this resolved will take months and sometimes years yeah it's ridiculous so I would tell them can you give me something in writing that if this person is out of network and it wasn't my choice I didn't get to choose when my water break right so that should not be my responsibility it shouldn't yeah so it's get wild to me up but... front early in writing that's, i would do that yeah right that's a good um, suggestion and every and in hospital you know it depends on the day they can upcharge basically anything they want you don't even know yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, um so the where can, so the website that you were saying about finding the um dpc yeah. is that where everyone can find like all of the dpcs yeah, the direct or, uh, primary care yeah. uh, doctors i will say most all most of the physicians are on there okay but there's so many of us now it's yeah continue to grow so much that yeah. some of them might not have updated the okay. website so what do you think the best way the to best find way them? let's say you're listening from arizona you can always email me or any other dpc doctors on that list and say hi i'm in arizona but i don't find anybody in this area and you email the guy in Idaho, okay? yeah, because that's the closest one you find, and he or she will love to help you. That's okay. the one thing that I know for sure about DPC physicians that we want you yeah. to find someone that will help you. And I can just literally go on my network of colleagues in Arizona, and I said, "Who's here?" And wow. they said, "Me." Yeah, and I said, "This is a patient. They have these concerns. Can you help them?" And they will call them directly. Wow. And because we. We make the time and we have the mm-hmm. time for that. Yeah, and you have the time. That's the most important right. thing. All of our patient panels are very limited to a certain number to accommodate the needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a certain number that every season I reevaluate. I said, mm-hmm. nope, this is the RSV season coming. I'm going to pause all new members enrollment. Right now, I have open enrollment because all my members are at the beach. Right. Vacation, it's just minor scrape and bruise and sunburn. Nothing crazy. But in... But from, I would say, October to March, crazy. Yeah. RSV was really, really bad. Right. Um, kids was getting sick left and right. So my priority is always to my current established members. I want to be here any day that they need me. Mm-hmm. I can never and will never say, oh, no, I have too many patients today. That's not going to happen because that's not the point of my practice. Right. Because if I want to see that many people in a day, then I can go and get any other job that would happily pay me a good amount of money for yeah. me to do that. Right. Um, so the, the point of all of this is physicians who do DPC, they do it because they have a very specific care philosophy. Mm-hmm. People who don't believe in this care philosophy, they will not do this. No, yeah. Because there is it's, it's a lifestyle, and it's true. Yeah. Unless you believe it, you don't have... Um, 
the mentality, the perseverance to do what we do. So how do you balance that in the sense of like you wanting to be there for your, like, do you have specific hours that you tell your patients you can text me anytime between? You can text me anytime. <laughs> Any day, I don't have holiday hours. Holiday hours are for the website. Right. Just so that random people, <laughs> you know, pharmaceutical reps and yeah. delivery guys. Um, it's really, my hours are when you need me, I'm there. Listen, there are times I need to sleep. Yeah. Shower, maybe. <laughs> right? So I said, if it's a text and if it's not urgent, you're not going to call me. You just text me and you know that I will answer in that day, mm -hmm. if not within the hour. If it's an emergency, you will call. Right. Because it's different. My phone, well, someone always has my phone. Either it's on me, if I'm showering, somebody has my phone. Or that number goes to another uh, phone that's being monitored. Okay. Right? So when you call me, I will pick up because that is an emergency. Right. So what is an emergency? What is an urgent matter? Is right. when you're saying, oh no, should I go to the emergency room? Yeah. Oh, do I need to go to urgent care for this? Because this is a Sunday and it's 10 o'clock at night. Right. That's when you call me. Even if we have to go to the ER, I need to know first. Mm -hmm. I need to know so I can help you what you need to take with you, what you need to do. And more importantly, I need to call the doctors, my colleagues behind the doors in the ER so they can come out and meet you. Yeah, wow. During the RSV season, the ERs around here, I mean, especially Capital Health, yeah. they were just so overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I mean, their their waiting room was just filled. And unfortunately, a good portion of those patients didn't need to be in the ER. They would just worry parents right. who call their physicians, their doctor's office, and, and were told, just go because we don't have anything. Well, that happened with me with my, with Willow. She had, like excessive I guess like diarrhea for one day she was like maybe like three to four months old and mm -hmm. it was like concerned I guess about like dehydration and yeah. I called our pediatrician it was a Friday of course and it was the after hours lines and they're like well you know you should take her to the ER just to get checked out so we go to again this is during COVID basically because she was born in November oh. of 2020 so you know we're like still yeah. in that mix um that's a terrible time to go to ER oh it was so <laughs> bad and you know so like my husband like I said being a police officer was on like on overnights thankfully my parents they came and um like drove us all over to the ER and they mm -hmm. waited in the car while I went in my husband ended up being able to meet uh, um me there and we go back we're like waiting and everything and like the doctor comes back and it's like I'm confused. Like, like why, why are you here? here? And I was like, I don't know, because my pediatrician said, like, I should go because she had, like, all of these movements, say, they were afraid of dehydration. And he's like, she's, like, not lethargic. She's fine. She's, know. you know, like, no. She's just, she's okay. And then you're like, you kind of feel stupid for going. And then, you know, you're getting, you're all this stress and... Um, it was just one of those like moments where we're very lucky that our kids haven't had any other yeah, really incidences like yeah. that. But if your child is like very is sick often, um, I can't imagine that being yeah. a normal thing and how it would feel as a parent. Yeah, I can, I can tell you that in the last year, the number of times I sent kids to the ER, I mean less than, I can count less than one hand. Right. right? But I sent them. What if I do, the doctors there know that this kid need to have a set of eyes immediately. Like, right. You're not going to triage this kid. You're not going to make this kid sit in the waiting room and, and fill a bunch of forms. Right. And during that time, during the RSV overwhelming season, it was just so filled. 
that their name, my patient name, couldn't get on the board. Uh, so what happened when you get to the ER, the registration, people would put your name up there with a concern, mm-hmm. and then um, it would relay back to the back, and then they have a board with all the names yeah. pop up. And the physician that I call, they would know who to look for, but the name never got on there, oh, because okay. she was still in line waiting to talk to somebody. Oh my God. And what frustrating, I'm like, in 15 minutes, I lost patient. I said, let me talk to the person in registration. And that person refused to talk to me. And I was like, what? That's not, yeah. not ha- that's not happening. Why wouldn't you talk to a physician? But because right now in healthcare, that's not my job. My yeah. job is not to, like, why would I need to talk to you? Yeah. What happened to caring for the kid? If a doctor said I need to talk to you, please talk to them. Right. So I was, so I called back to the, the, the ER um, back room and I said, no, she's here. She's been here. And they came out and they, get, they got her in. She was in respiratory distress. Wow. This is not, this is not a kid with a cold. Right. Um, and it was an infant. And I and dehydration, you know, to your story, and that's very unfortunate. Right. And yes, you're right. You call on a Friday afternoon. Who's going to be there to see the yeah, kid? Yeah, no. Yeah. And from a triage perspective, which is unfortunate, I, I hate to say it, but they have these trigger words. That if you say any of these words, they, they would go, oh, you fit the criteria. Go to the ER. Right. But, but it wasn't necessarily true. Um, like, if... When we don't know the kid, we don't know the relationship, we don't know what they've been like, and I, um, and you haven't had that relationship where the parents know exactly what I'm looking for. Right. They don't. They don't need to feel. They don't need to have to over exaggerate. And I say this from years of the experience, and I tell you, sometimes I talk to parents on the phone when I was an employee of, of a network. I would hear. I would ask a question, and they almost sometimes use my question as a way to build up their level of concern and I have to talk them down. Yeah. Like, wait, wait a minute. Let's talk about the symptom. Like, I don't want you to say these things just to make me know that you are worried. I know you're worried, so let's talk about this. Because if these things are happening, if they're true, you're going to have to go to the ER. Right. Okay? So I want to layer out there, lay it thick, that what I'm doing now is that if I can keep you home safe with supportive care until tomorrow maybe right. to see somebody, then that's my goal. Right. My goal is not to send you to the ER yeah. because that would be the easiest thing to do. We cut my conversation down a lot. Right. Um, but but when you send them there, it's a terrible experience <laughs> and that creates a mistrust. Yeah. Right? And then patient feel like you don't really care. Yeah. You didn't spend time with me. And like you said, you went there and you felt silly. Yeah. And and then being now being exposed to a bunch of sick kids. Yeah. And then the financial stress. Right. Not, don't forget about that. Yeah. You know, as doctors, we're like, you shouldn't worry about that. We should worry yeah. about that. <laughs> That's literally the livelihood of people, right? right? So why wouldn't you talk about these things? Um, you know, what's funny now... My parents, most of my members here, they call me, I'm like, hey, doc, do you know how much the surgery is going to cost? I said, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. They, they share yeah. about everything with me. Yeah. And they're like, let's talk about other options. That, like, yeah. Do you really have to go to that center, even though it's the best, for something that's so minor yeah. that even I can do, but right. I'm not doing it because yeah. I'm not, I don't have a surgical license by the state to do it. Right. Right. So why don't we go to this one that I really trust? The cost yeah. is like a fraction. Wow. How about that? Yeah. And if you don't believe me, go meet with them. They will meet with you. They, they, that's the kind of doctors I want to take care of you, right. specialists or not. That they sit down, they discuss it, right? Yeah. So parents now, my member, they feel like they can talk to me about anything. <laughs> they don't good. feel silly to talk yeah. about that stuff because it, it's important. Yeah, it so is. All right, so you have a whole child approach to care. Could you elaborate on what that entails and why it's important in pediatric medicine? 
Yes, so in, in pediatrics, sometimes parents um, are worried about, you know, things that they can't see, right? Let's say the kid is having ear pain and let's say your child had a history of ear infection so now you worry now he's tugging and mm -hmm. tapping he might be fussy maybe there's a little low-grade fever and your go-to thought or your fear would be oh no it's another ear infection so for me when you bring a child in I take the history into account I'm like okay he or she had an ear infection this doesn't mean it's going to be another ear infection, mm -hmm. but the anatomy of the child matters. So I'm a DO, so Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine by training. Uh, some people don't know the difference between an MD and a DO. We train the same path, but the main difference is that in, tr in medical school, we had an additional 500 to 1,000 hours wow. of manual medicine. We focus on the anatomy so much, okay. right? So in pediatric specific, when you're born, right, your your head is different than the person next to you, mm -hmm. than your baby. And the way that your bone, your facial bone, your skull bone, your ear, little ear bone, your mm -hmm. sinuses, space, how they form, all of that does impact the way it functions, mm -hmm. right? So you, you ask, how come some kids constantly have ear infections mm -hmm. and how come other kids don't? Yeah. Why is it that the moment he gets snotty, he gets an ear infection. Right. How come the other kids doesn't? Yeah. It's about structure and function. If you are somebody who have narrowing of the ear tube canal, and when you're little, the ear tubes tend to slant, um, sorry, tend to be horizontal, so they don't really drain well. Okay. If you get older and things are bigger, then the tubes slant down and it can drain, drain. down better, okay. the fluids get drained. So as an osteopathic physician, we learn that there are certain techniques we call osteopathic manipulative therapy. I show parents, I teach parents, these are the things that you can do at home mm -hmm. to mobilize the congestion, mobilize okay. the lymph fluid. Yeah. Right? We focus around the sinus space, around the ear, things that will help to drain that congestion or that fluid blockage. Okay. And I tell parents, we have all the time in the world. You do this for me, I know your baby's fussy and I can see it, I can see the clear fluid. Go home, do that, come back in two days. And if there's any acute changes, you let me know sooner. Right. I have no problem treating kids with antibiotics. I am well versed in pharmacology, right. but that's not my go-to. Yeah. I actually inherently hate antibiotics. That's what I was gonna actually ask about with being from Vietnam okay. um, and then coming to the US in a sense of like such a pills, 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 fix yeah. everything, like do you, like integrate any like holistic approaches? Yeah. So the integrative holistic approach of mine is really stemmed from actually basic science research. Right. It wasn't because of my cultural background. Right. Growing up, the thing that impart um, on me the most was the healthy lifestyle, mm -hmm. the diet, the whole food, the whole food plant-based mm -hmm. diet. That was more of the what my parent taught me. Right. We were exposed early on. Right. We learned to love vegetable and we learned to serve it with every meal. So it became like an everyday thing and we took care of the stuff. We grew our own. Yeah. So it was a pride and joy that we grow something out of the ground, then we harvest, we crop, you know, and we prepped and washed. And again, not to digress, but that's why I think in childhood, eating is so difficult. Yeah. Um, eating healthy is difficult because it doesn't taste good. Vegetables, they're not, they don't taste good yeah. in any capacity. But what I tell parents is that the first time you introduce something new to a kid, it shouldn't be the first time they see it right. at all. It shouldn't be on a plate. It should be 
you you guys are at the store and you you have um, you have a fun experience you go hey willow would you want to pick this little baby carrot or a big mama carrot can you help mommy choose mm -hmm. what do you think dad would like do you think dad would like the red beet or this little um, red pepper mm -hmm. give her that empowerment to choose and yeah. go, i like this one yep and when you're gonna go home you're gonna help mommy cut it up you're gonna help wash and you're gonna help stir whatever it is right and you're gonna talk it up and you're like oh my god um dan i don't know your husband name <laughs> mark yeah <laughs> i was like mark you won't believe it look what willow did yeah she chose this for you yeah kids they just love attention. They want yeah, to be the center do. of everything. Yeah. You just want to know that you talk about them. Yeah. That everything is about them. And you do that. It was so, it's so funny that you say that because I Willow does help with a lot of stuff. Like we have a little, um, like the, the mother helper, like yeah. standing thing. So she comes, she helps. And so we've been doing eggs a lot recently since I'm, you know, off for the summer. And so I got food, like the, you know, you dye your eggs, but like she'll put a couple like drops, she'll pick a color for her eggs. Yeah. So she's been doing like pink or purple eggs and, you know, scrambled eggs, whatever. So today we, after her swim lessons, we stop at Starbucks and I'm like, oh, I'll get you these egg muffins. We're like kind of rushing around and we go and we're starting to eat them and she's like I I don't like this and I'm like but you love eggs and she's like no I want pink eggs <laughs> and I'm like yeah but these are regular uh, yeah. really much better than the eggs that I make you know the little they were like hot um you know the egg muffins that they have with the bacon and the gouda and I'm like it's so good she's yeah. like no I want the pink eggs yeah. and I'm like okay well that's good though that you're you know yeah understanding that she helps to make and yeah. that is so funny it's about the experience yeah and also the memory and yeah. that's when people when people talk about relationship with food mm -hmm. it's all about how they associate their mm -hmm. experience that tied in with that memory and in it's hard enough to have kids do what you want them to do but when it comes to food just have them be involved engage them as much as possible mm -hmm. and that's for me is all about nutrition is at the beginning how do we teach them this is the norm mm -hmm. it's not about i'm asking to eat it it's just that this is what we all eat as mom and dad and every single time and sometimes when you want kids to try something new i always use um the 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 experience the new experience let's say you're on a play date you're in a car on a on a way to a, a fun activity mm -hmm. right that's when you pack healthy food it's good idea. so because there's not much else around for them to pick and choose yeah if they're really hungry and you go i have carrots i have these little celery sticks and are you excited about going to see your cousin yeah right so it just almost like make it fun so everything that you offer is not about focusing on that food mm -hmm. focusing on the event but by the way this is the food that we have mm, i love that and and it's just it's a lot of work if you think about it we yeah. have to plan everything oh, we, gotta, yeah. we gotta think about it. we have to be in that mode right right but over time they would just get in, in, into just the routine right and then they don't fight you they don't fight you when they put on shoes anymore they don't fight you when they brush their teeth now at the age of 16 mm -hmm. because that's what they do every day right right it is so it's so hard with the um I like read a book where it was like talking about like babies at like nine months they can like help you put their books away and I remember like hearing that and I'm like what <laughs> but I really did with both my kids like even though they're really young like we start like okay like I was like okay at nine months I'm gonna try to help you're gonna help me with the books and like she of course couldn't do anything but it just really evolved she, my daughter, my, you know, my son is not at the stage yet, but she is so good about 
putting things away and helping to clean. And I really like, I don't know if it's just a coincidence or what, but like, I think it stems from like, it was hard at nine months. It was not as hard at 10 months and then like 11 months, you know, maybe she could put one back. It's like, you know, they're not going to be putting away all the books, but like if you show them what to do, then by a year and a half, she's like, oh, now I can make this connection of these things I've been doing for the last nine months. Because it's just a routine. Yeah. Right. And so it's not, it's not no longer a chore. Right. It's not, yeah. Don't make anything into a chore. No. It's just, that's what we do. What we're going to have today, you know, cucumber. That's what we do every dinner. (laughs) So I love that. Um, But the integrative and obviously the holistic approach is, is really about understanding what we can do to augment the, the body natural physiology of healing. Okay. Because if you think about it, we have tons of illnesses and diseases every year. Yeah. Like even a cold, that's a disease, right? right. But we survive it. Mm-hmm. If we don't, we would have a terrible immune system. But what are the other ways that we can do? Yeah. There is the approach to whole food. Food is medicine, mm-hmm. right? And I said, I don't know how you feel as a parent when it comes to um, you know, holistic approach, things like eating ginger for mm-hmm. when you upset stuff. Yeah, I love um, doing nausea, that stuff. Nausea, right? Yeah. Or turmeric for inflammation. Mm-hmm. For little kids, there's elderberry, there's zinc, mm-hmm. there's vitamin C, there's vitamin D. There are certain things that I tell parents, hey, he's feeling a little bit down, she's not feeling great. What do you have at home mm-hmm. that we can do that is natural, that is wholesome? We can do that to help her immune yeah. system. Because I know Willow, she's been healthy. I know she can do this, yeah. but why don't we want to shorten the duration of illness? Yeah. And and I know, let's say, Willow is somebody who constantly have chronic congestions in the ear that maybe sometime will turn into an ear infection. Mm-hmm. But I need that to be proven to be true. Yeah. I don't look at the ear and say, there's fluid and it's an ear infection. Right. My biggest pet peeve, honestly, is the overdiagnose of bacterial ear infection. Mm. You can have viral infection in your ear all the time and it can cause, you know, a, a paramount amount of pain, right? But pain doesn't mean infection. Right. You can be on an airplane and the pressure difference inside and outside your ear can cause pain. Right. But no one would give you an antibiotic for Yeah, it, that's true. Right. So I want to show and guide parents through this part, and especially those coming into my office with a long-standing history of multiple ear infections that I'm like, oh, has it been really truly bacterial ear infection? Right. And this kid is like under a year old, that is concerning because you barely a year old, you've had four courses of antibiotic, of course they want to put ear tubes in you. Because yeah, that's what that, I was going to say. So many people that I know are getting tubes in their ears, and, and it's so interesting because I honestly didn't know there was a difference between viral and bacterial ear infection, so yeah. I'm really intrigued about... Viruses are everywhere. Yeah. You know how your throat hurts when you have a viral yeah. or a cold? Well, that's the same thing happening to your ear. Mm-hmm. But in your ear, because it's so sensitive, and yeah. then there's an air fluid level interface, but it, any pressure put on the little eardrum is going to hurt it. Yeah. Right. And as a baby, you, all you know is cry, mm-hmm. and and what happens when you cry, your ear turns red. Oh my God, that, that's the reason why I hate when kids go to urgent care. I'm not bad mouthing urgent care, <laughs> but they don't know you. They, the yeah. fact that you come in, you're miserable, you're so anxious, you're worried. My baby's crying and they look into the ear and it's bright red. Oh, ear infection, here's something because we want to help you. And right. They want to help you, but you won't believe the number of times when parents come in the next day when I was an employee in a practice and they come in within 12 hours because they saw somebody overnight came in the next day to see me because I'm like no I don't know let's come see me 
ears are perfectly normal. Wow. There's no magic antibiotic, magical antibiotic in the world that can take away the purulent, the, the material that's behind the eardrum to turn bacterial mm. in 12 hours. Mm. Why do you think we treat you for 10 days? Yeah. That's so interesting. And I just sit there and I'm like, I wish I have an additional 40 minutes with you. Yeah. And I sometimes do that at the cost of the staff being upset with me, with the employer saying, hey, what's happening to you? Are you, you don't know, you know how to be a doctor? Because a doctor would know how to get out of a room in five minutes. Yeah. And you're like, that's not. That's not. Yeah. So things, little things like that build up over time. I feel like that's just terrible care. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so integrative holistic care is about what else is happening, what else do you believe in, that yeah. if it makes sense to me, I want to help you through it and guide you through it. Because I have tons of parents coming in from all sort of background. They come from medicines, they come from holistic, yeah. they come from nutrition. They all came in with their own experience, their own belief, and I want to sit there and learn all of it. And I've learned so much through all my special parents, right. and I come up with a plan with them. And I'm, if I can teach you something new, and I can teach you a skill that can help your baby without resorting to antibiotic, that is the win any day for me. Mm-hmm. And that is my mission. And I, mm-hmm. I don't put that mission out on my uh, website because it sounds silly, <laughs> yeah. but my, my members, they know that. Right. So, yeah. I love that. Well, I think that's a great place to end <laughs> about your mission. I mean, this Thank is you so, so amazing. Oh, my gosh. Um, Yes, this is awesome. I learned I learned so much. I know the listeners will learn so much. Um, and, you know, just as we conclude this, this was such an amazing interview. Um, you're such a great advocate for children's health. I hope that everyone, again, found this as informative as I did. It's, um, I, we, you've talked about everything. Um, your dedications to evidence-based medicine, holistic approach, compassionate care, and the whole child approach, you true, it truly sets you apart from any other pediatrician that I've ever heard of. (laughs) Your commitment to building strong relationships with families and providing personalized attention is a testament to your passion and the well-being of every child you encounter. As we, as we conclude, I encourage you to visit Dr. Quinn's website, Zoomies Pediatric which I'll also link in the show notes where you can learn more about her practice services and the resources she offers or follow along on Instagram at zoomies underscore pediatrics. Whether you're a parent seeking support or someone interested in the field of pediatric medicine, um, learning about her expertise and compassionate approach makes her an invaluable resource. Remember, parenting can be challenging and it's essential to seek trusted healthcare professionals like Dr. Quinn who can guide you on your journey. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the Running Wine Mom podcast and leave me a review. You can also follow me on Instagram at the Running Wine Mom underscore and don't forget to share this episode with fellow parents who could benefit from the incredible resources of Dr. Quinn at Zoomies Pediatrics. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, you are strong, you are capable, and you are amazing. Until next time, keep running, keep sipping, and keep embracing the joy of motherhood. Cheers, and I will be back next Tuesday.